The reading this evening comes from Luke chapter 14, reading verses 25 to 33. And they can be found in the Bibles on the pews in 1048. So on page 1048, Luke chapter 14, 25 to 33. Large crowds were travelling with Jesus, and turning to them, he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Will he not first sit down and estimate the cost to see if he has enough money to complete it? For if he lays the foundations and is not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule him, saying, This fellow began to build and was not able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Will he not first sit down and consider whether he is able, with 10,000 men, to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000. If he is not able, he will send a delegation while the others are still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, any of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. Let me just um, pray for us as we... um open up God's word. Jesus said uh, in John chapter 5, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we have the words of Jesus before us uh, this evening, and we pray that you would help us to listen carefully to them, We pray that you'd help us by your Holy Spirit to consider the cost of what it means to follow the Lord Jesus and to rightly apply this passage to our own lives. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, last uh, summer, about a year ago or so, Anna and I uh, went on holiday um, to Greece. We went to um, the island of Rhodes. Uh, It was a very beautiful um, island. It was a very, very relaxing and warm holiday. Um, And while we were there, we um, hired a car and we visited various different places around the island. It wasn't very big. Uh, We did some uh, really nice things while we were there. But one of the things that stood out and that we both remember quite well is that when we travelled around, there was just a huge number of incomplete, abandoned uh, places, abandoned buildings, uh, projects that were never finished off all of the main roads. I say all of the main roads. There are only about two of them. Um, but there were, there were just so many buildings that were incomplete, just concrete sticking up uh, out of the ground. And when we were there, you might remember it was the Greek financial crisis. Uh, and clearly lots of people had started these projects, um, but they hadn't got the necessary funds in the bank uh, to finish it. We were worried we weren't even going to be able to get any money out of the ATMs while we were there. But it meant that while we were driving around, uh, the landscape was littered Uh, with half-built building projects. Perhaps you can sort of picture it as you drive down uh, the main road. 
There were concrete shells everywhere uh, as a reminder, really, that somebody somewhere hadn't really thought carefully enough about whether they could finish uh, what they were starting. It'd be really helpful for you to just have that picture in your head because Jesus gives us a very similar illustration. We read it in the passage. But Jesus wasn't talking about builders who look foolish because they don't count the cost of their building project. He's warning about people who look incredibly foolish because they don't fully count the cost of following Jesus. Uh, Sadly, John Stott uh, describes the state of the Christian scene in the world today like this. He says, The Christian landscape is strewn with the wreckage of derelict, half-built towers, the ruins of those who began to build and were unable to finish. He goes on to say, All too many people still ignore Christ's warning and undertake to follow him without first pausing to reflect on the cost of doing so. In this passage, Jesus warns us that rather than make an impulsive, unconsidered decision to follow Jesus, we need to stop and pause and consider or count the cost. And in this passage, Jesus lays out very, very clearly for us what it's going to mean to follow him. If you like, we've got the terms and conditions, and you'll be very glad to know they're not in small print, complicated language, uh, hidden at the bottom of a page somewhere, uh, or on another website that you hadn't looked at when you bought whatever it was off Amazon. Uh, We've got them here uh, in print in the Bible for us. And Jesus is very upfront and clear about what following him is going to look like. Did you notice three times in the passage, Jesus tells uh, this crowd of people following him that unless certain criteria are met, then we simply cannot be his disciples. Three times he says that. Verse 25, verse 26, and then right at the end, verse 33. We're going to think about those um, things in a moment, and you'll see that we can perhaps summarise Jesus's teaching uh, like this. Following Christ requires costly repentance. That's what uh, we've got to consider uh, this evening. Now, repentance uh, is a word we often use in church. It's something that Jesus has been speaking about a lot in the few chapters prior to to this in Luke. And by repentance, uh, we're talking about a life that turns 180 degrees uh, away from a life that sins against God and turns to a new life where Jesus Christ is Lord. And before we look at a few specifics of what Jesus actually tells us this all looks like, I just want to spend a few moments showing you from a few other parts in the New Testament that while Jesus' offer of salvation is completely free, completely free to us, uh, following Jesus does require uh, repentance. Often we just hear about the freeness of God's salvation and we don't think about repentance. But let me just read you a few verses. Uh, You can look them up later if you wanted to jot them down. But Mark chapter 1, verse 15, Jesus' first words as he started his ministry, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe in the gospel. Jesus didn't just say believe the good news, he commanded people to repent. Or again, Luke uh, 24, verse 25, Uh, Jesus is talking on the road to a couple of disciples and it says Jesus opened their minds to understand the scriptures and he said to them, 
Thus it is written that the Messiah is to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins is to be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. Again, we've got Peter in Acts 2, verse 38. He says, repent and be baptised in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of sins. Just a few verses there to show you that forgiveness, this free gift uh, of salvation, the hope that we can have in Jesus of eternal life, has to come. It comes with repentance. They go inseparably, inseparably hand in hand. You can't have one uh, without the other. That's really quite uh, important. God's free gift uh, of salvation, as we heard about last week, uh, is paid for in full by Jesus dying on the cross for us, but it's offered to us on the condition of repentance. In other words, we can only enjoy the benefits of God's grace, uh, his forgiveness, peace with God, uh, the hope of eternal life, if we repent. Following Jesus uh, requires repentance, and we're going to see it is costly, costly repentance. Now let's have a look at these three statements that Jesus uh, gives us in this passage, which help us to understand what this repentance will look like. And hopefully you'll see it's much more than a nice, warm, uh, fuzzy feeling. Uh, It's much more than a horrible feeling of remorse. Uh, I've had that on summer camps a few times, where you get to the sin talk uh, and you feel terrible about yourself. And then you carry on with camp and you go home. That's not repentance, just feeling bad about sin. Let's have a look at what Jesus says. Have a look back at verse 26. Jesus says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, even their own life, that person cannot be my disciple. Now don't misunderstand what Jesus is saying here. He's not saying we should actually hate one another. Please don't hear Jesus saying we should hate one another. We shouldn't be throwing food at each other uh, over dinner after the service. Uh, That would contradict Jesus' teaching to love our neighbour as we love ourselves. And his teaching to Christians to love one another as he's loved us. That's quite uh, an awful lot of love, isn't it? What he's saying uh, as well is not that we should hate ourselves in the sense that we should hurt ourselves or harm or despise uh, human life in some way. We know from Genesis, uh, we're all made in the image of God, in his likeness, so we're all of value. So in that sense, we're not to hate ourselves, we're to respect, love and care for our bodies. What Jesus, though, is saying, you might like to think of it like this, to follow Christ, our highest loyalty must be Christ. And Jesus is making this very uh, powerful comparison uh, with our closest relationships, In comparison to our love and obedience uh, to Jesus, every other loyalty, every other relationship we have must be less. And to make the strength of his point, Jesus says, well, he uses the word hate to show us how much we should love Jesus uh, above all others and all else. The chief uh, loyalty, the chief relationship at the centre of our heart must be the Lord Jesus If we're to follow Christ, our highest loyalty must be to Christ. You might have heard uh, this phrase before, uh, but it goes like this. If Jesus is not Lord of all, 
he is not Lord at all. It's quite easy to remember. And those first hearing these words, they would have been Jewish hearers, and so to follow Jesus as their highest loyalty, or even to follow Jesus at all, would mean consequences on the relationship with their family. It would be a choice between a Jewish way of life or following Jesus. If you like, it's a a, a rather serious would you rather. Who do you love more, your family or Jesus? Where does your allegiance lie? To follow Jesus, to follow Christ, our highest loyalty, Jesus says, must be him. Uh, The thing we're most concerned about, uh, it cannot be anything else. It can't be the approval of our parents or, or the admiration of our friends. Just think back to the earliest disciples when they were called. It meant giving up their jobs and leaving their families. And whilst today, uh, you might be glad that many of us don't need to do that, uh, we're still called to follow Jesus with an inner surrender where all things do not occupy the first place in our hearts. They're often uh, really good things. Tim Keller Uh, points out that often uh, good things, they're good things, but they become God things. They're the things that capture our hearts and they drive our lives and our behaviour. They're the things that we spend all our time thinking about them or spend our money on them or our energy or our attention. But to follow Jesus, our highest loyalty must be Christ. It's to acknowledge Jesus as Lord and to live with him as Lord, above everything else. And Jesus makes that really clear, doesn't he, when he said, we must even hate our own life. In effect, if you like, uh, we're to give up the driver's seat to Jesus and to hand him the keys. And of course, if we do that, if we're serious about following Jesus, it will mean we fight the presence of sin in our lives, everything that is opposed to him. Let me read uh, what John Stott said again. He said, Repentance is a matter neither of what we feel nor really of what we say. It's an inward change of mind and attitude towards sin which leads to a change in behaviour. There can be no compromise here. There may be sins in our lives which we do not think we could ever let go of, but we must be willing to let them go and ask God to deliver us from them. When he puts his finger on anything... Give it up. It may be someone you spend time with, or something you do, or some attitude of pride, jealousy, or resentment, or a refusal to forgive. It's a big thing that Jesus is asking for our highest loyalty to be him. And I thought it would be helpful just to dwell on a few things, uh, that might, the way, ways that this might apply for us today. It might mean uh, reassessing in your own life whether your pursuit of a particular career or your attitude towards your exams at the moment or a relationship that you're in or thinking about, has that become a higher loyalty to you than Jesus? Are you ignoring what uh, God has clearly said about those things, about how you conduct yourselves, uh, about how... uh, you choose certain relationships. It might mean addressing hidden issues in your heart that are festering away. Perhaps an inability to forgive someone who wronged you a while ago. Perhaps just getting a grip 
on your anger or on your tongue? Well, what about um, online? Lots of us spend a lot of time on the internet. Statistically, uh, in churches, there's a lot of people, particularly Christian men, who are watching pornography. Well, if Jesus is to be our highest loyalty, we've got to let go of that sin. Install something like covenant eyes on your computer. Ask a Christian friend to keep you accountable. Pray together. Well, what about if you're self-absorbed with editing photos, collecting likes or loves now, uh, constantly worrying, or don't worry if you don't know what they are, constantly worrying or thinking about what people think about you in your latest Facebook post or Twitter or Instagram or any other ones that I don't really know what they are. Repentance uh, means a change in your attitude in those things. It means taking a focus off of yourself and placing it on Jesus as the most important thing. Well, what about uh, church? Repentance might mean uh, a change in your attitude towards church. The church, the people uh, of God, the people that you're sat with this evening, uh, Jesus calls them his body. And so loyalty to Jesus, above all things, is going to mean loyalty to church. And that applies not just when you feel like it, uh, or when serving is fun, something like holiday club, or when you're in a buzz group uh, with people that you get on with or don't get on with. Uh, it applies when your friends won't be there, as well as when they will be there. And church should be something that we're uh, loyal to, even when there's other things that we might like to do on a Sunday evening or Sunday morning. There's a whole load of other things we could go into, but there's just some things uh, to get you thinking. Jesus is very clear, though, isn't he? To follow him, our highest loyalty must be him. Uh, and maybe as I start to deal with a few of those examples, you can see how following Jesus uh, it can be costly. Costly repentance. And we see that uh, in verse 27, in the second uh, thing that Jesus says. Have a look back at verse 27. Uh, Jesus says, whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. I've summed it up like this. To follow Christ, we must suffer for Christ. I don't know if you've realised this, but by following Jesus, you are following a man who was constantly despised and rejected, who wasn't thought very highly of by people around him. He was someone who was unjustly treated and falsely accused, he was given an incredibly unfair trial. He was abandoned, let down by all his closest friends. He was beaten by the authorities. He was mocked by the crowds. He was scorned and stripped. And he was nailed to a cross to die. And Jesus says, come and follow me. And so here he makes clear, do not expect a cushy, comfortable life where society is going to accept you if you follow Jesus and his teaching, you're going to be laughed at. You might be socially sidelined. In fact, uh, to follow Jesus means being willing and prepared to face much, much worse. We must uh, suffer for Christ. We must at least be willing to suffer for Christ. And across the world, there are so many Christians who understand the reality of this uh, much more than we do. Um, 
there are so many examples I could give you, but let me just read one example. This is from a Christian uh, mother from Aleppo in Syria. Just a couple of weeks ago, uh, she was talking about attacks on Christians from ISIS. And she said this, Would you like to know how Jesus was feeling when he was carrying his cross and awaiting the time of his death? You can ask our children. They are carrying their crosses and are awaiting their death. Simply because they're Christians. But she goes on to say, we're refusing uh, to see death anymore in Syria, Aleppo especially, and we're declaring the resurrection of Christ on our beloved country. In other words, it doesn't matter if death comes to them. They will suffer for Christ. Now, to follow, us, follow uh, Jesus here in Basingstoke probably isn't going to mean such physical, painful persecution. But Jesus is clear, we need to weigh up what may lie ahead, and who knows what lies ahead. If our highest loyalty is Jesus, uh, then inevitably we will suffer in one way or another. Now, there is so much joy and hope uh, and so many blessings in the Christian life. I don't want you to think that we don't believe that here at St Mary's, or that that's what the Bible says. Uh, particularly in the future, we're promised wonderful, uh, wonderful blessings. But Jesus here teaches very clearly, doesn't he? We must suffer for him if we're to follow him. We can't just follow him when it's comfortable and when it's convenient. And however this works out for us um, today, Jesus warns us we've got to consider this. We've got to think about it and weigh it up before we make a decision. Or perhaps if you've already made a decision, uh, perhaps you need to reconsider what uh, your Christian life should look like according to Jesus. And he gives us two illustrations as to why we need to consider it. Uh, The first one, well, both of them are to do with being foolish. Have a look back down at verse 28 uh, to 30. And we've got this picture of a builder who foolishly begins not checking he got enough money to finish the job. And Jesus is saying, uh, look at this guy. Look at what a fool uh, he's been. You would surely, if you were that builder, stop and count the cost to make sure you could finish a building. In fact, uh, the illustration is of a tower rather than a building, isn't it? Towers are something that you can see from slightly further away. Now, if you start a tower, but you don't have enough money to finish it, your incomplete building will basically stand as a monument to the fact that you are an idiot. And people will walk past it on the way to work and they will snigger and they will mutter about it and they'll go, oh, have you seen that? That's the guy who started but ran out of money because he didn't have enough, he didn't check. What an idiot. Well, when I was a teenager, we would have called him a plank, a right plank. Jesus says he's a fool, and we aren't to be so foolish with following Jesus. We need uh, to count uh, the cost. The second picture, uh, and the second reason we're given, uh, is of a king who's going uh, to battle with another king who has a much bigger army and is clearly going to beat him. And the question is, what kind of a king doesn't sit down and work out whether he's going to be winning this war before he sends his men out. Now, it's a rhetorical question, 
And the point is supposed to be quite obvious. You're going to get beaten. A king is going to check that he can win before he sends all his men out. Or he would if he'd got uh, enough brain cells. That's what he'd do. But there's more to it than just him counting that cost. Did you notice the next bit in verse 32? If the king realises that he can't battle a mightier king, before he and his army gets beaten up, he'd be very wise to ask for terms and condi- terms of peace and surrender. To ask for terms and conditions of how he can have peace with a much mightier king. Can you see where Jesus is going with this? We've got two illustrations that give us two costs to consider. The cost of turning to Jesus and following him, but also the cost of opposing someone who is much, much mightier than you. There's a cost we need to count in following Jesus, but the cost of rejecting Jesus is even greater. We've seen over the last few months as we've uh, investigated the basics of the Christian faith, uh, Jesus is God's chosen king. And he offers eternal salvation to anyone who repents. He's done all that needs to be done. But he is also a judge. He will also bring eternal condemnation to those who reject him. And so the cost of rejecting him is far more costly than the cost of repentance. Now, I just thought it'd be helpful to make it clear, because I was confused about this as a teenager for quite some time. Uh, When we talk about repentance, Jesus is not asking or expecting uh, moral perfection here. He wouldn't have needed to come and die for our sin, if that's the case. But what he is demanding is an ongoing life of repentance, where we constantly turn back to him and call him Lord. And with his help, we seek to live with him as Lord. It does mean, though, that there can be no competing love in our hearts or authority that we obey above Jesus, whatever the cost may be to us. And that's how Jesus sums up in verse 33. It's what he's getting at. Look at the last uh, verse. Any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Now, you might be thinking you better go and sell your car and your house and everything else. That's not, again, what Jesus means. What I think Jesus means uh, is this. To follow Christ means counting everything else rubbish compared to him. That's how the Apostle Paul viewed knowing and serving Jesus and the gospel. He said to the Ephesians in Acts 20, verse 24, I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. He didn't account his life of any value, of any worth compared to that. To the Philippian church, he said, I count everything as a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Now, the Apostle Paul, if you know anything about him, he knew that following Jesus required costly repentance. But more than that, he knew that there was such great gain 
and knowing the Lord Jesus. He says the surpassing greatness, the greatness that goes way above and beyond anything else of knowing Jesus now and into eternity. So much greater than anything this world can offer us or promise or give us. To the point that Paul is quite happy to call them rubbish. Totally disposable to me. Now we often don't think like Paul. We so often take our eyes off the glory of Jesus. And all the wonderful things that he's promised us. It's because we focus on things around us in this world that are temporary, they're not going to last, and they're fleeting. C.S. Lewis understands that we long for things of this earth, and we're often so unwilling to give them up. But he puts it into a vivid perspective for us. Some of you will know this quote very well, but he said, We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition, when infinite joy is offered us. We are like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. Now I think Paul must have realised that. That's why he could count everything rubbish compared to Christ and be willing to give up anything so that he might follow the Lord Jesus and know him closely. And when we realise that, only in and through Jesus, and we recognise even just something more of his glory, well, we might be a little step closer to being able to do that. Now, as we come um, to a close, I hope you've seen that following Jesus requires um, costly repentance. Uh, And those of us who have been Christians for some time will need to repent of how we often slip into a slippy, half-hearted way of following Jesus. I've certainly had to do that this week. We need to evaluate our Christian lives and recount uh, the cost and think about what it means. For where we've not uh, lived lives worthy of Jesus, we must rely on his mercy and his grace, which he does continually freely give to us. But we must take seriously his ongoing call to costly repentance. And I think it's a much uh, needed reminder that to faithfully share the gospel is not to offer some cheap version of grace, which basically requires nobody to make any change in their life. They can just be forgiven and that's all fine. As we share the gospel, we need to make clear that following Jesus requires costly repentance. If we're just selling a forgiveness without repentance, we're selling half a gospel which isn't good news at all. We won't be making disciples. All we'll be doing is adding to that landscape of derelict, half-built towers, ruins of people who began to build but were unable to finish. So there's a challenge as you share the gospel uh, with friends and colleagues. But maybe if you're someone who's still considering uh, the Christian faith, can I urge you to listen really carefully uh, to what Jesus says in these verses? These aren't my words, these are Jesus' words. He's clear that following him requires costly repentance. Our highest loyalty must be him. We'll have to suffer for him. 
will have to count everything else rubbish compared to him. Your decision needs to be carefully um, considered. But it does also uh, have a real sense of urgency. God's appointed a day when he is going to judge the world. A day when he's going to judge each one of us. We don't know when it is. And so we need to count the cost of following Christ. And we must seriously realise the cost of rejecting him before he does come back. I'm going to stop there. But I thought it might be helpful just to have a moment or two just to think through what it will mean for us to take seriously what it means to follow the Lord Jesus.